Well, we've come to the end of a remarkable career. As we've been looking at the, the life of David, David has come from the shepherd king, or from shepherding a few sheep to king over the land of Israel. He's described as a man after God's own heart. Now, we know that doesn't mean that David was perfect. Uh, we know that uh, David was far from perfect. He made a lot of mistakes, had a lot of problems in his life. But what it means is that David was sensitive to God and the things of God. He was open to that. And when David sinned against God, he repented of his sins and came back to God and God forgave him. And then he tried to live his life according to what he knew that God would have him to do. We've come to the end of his days. And David is, is about to, to make some changes in his kingdom. 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2 gives us some insights into what David needs to do to bring that about. It's going to provide us some insights into what David did at the end of his life that can be helpful for us as well. So what I want us to do, I want us to look at 1 Kings 1 and 2, some key passages in there to glean some important truths for us. Now remember, we're looking at this under the context of developing a heart for God. And this is the last of that series of sermons, 16 sermons over the life of David. We've been looking at it under the idea, how can we develop a heart for God? So what I want to do today, I want to take a different slant on this, uh, this passage and I want to look at it more like what can we as a church do. Because there's one thing that we as a church ought to be doing. We ought to be helping people develop a heart for God. And so those things that we have to do, things that we need to, to, to put in place to make sure that we can facilitate that, that we can help people develop a heart for God like you are trying to develop a heart for God yourself. Because what we want to see happening we want to see how can this church make a lasting impact in the community where God has placed us. And if you're developing a heart for God, you want to know how can I make a lasting impact in my life that will affect others. Yesterday at Coach's funeral, we talked about, you know, Coach and his ministry here. And at the very end, I told the family, I said, you know, Coach's works will follow him. Coach is, is there in, enjoying his salvation, but his works have not ended yet because you are his works. And I told him, don't drop the ball. Don't drop the ball. Continue in the example that Coach has laid out for you to live your life in a way that emulates that man who tried his best to follow Christ. In the same way, it's true for each one of us as well. We ought to be making an impact in our community, in our lives that affects other individuals. So let me give you the context of 1 Kings 1 and 2 while you're turning there. David has another son who's decided that he's going to go against David. His name is Adonijah. Adonijah is, uh, decides that he's going to set himself up as king over the people of Israel. And he, he jo gets some people to join with him and he goes and sets himself up as king of Israel. So David recognizes he's got a problem. Because David knows that he's not the man that God would have to lead the people of Israel. He understands that sometimes God does not look at the oldest, but he looks at the one most prepared. Adonijah was second in line. Absalom had been killed. His other brothers had been killed. Absalom had been killed. Now Adonijah was the next in line to be king of Israel. 
But God doesn't look at things the way that man looks at things. David had already said that Solomon was going to be king over the people of Israel. So David has to address this situation. He has to deal with this in this present situation to make sure that the kingdom of Israel would make a lasting impact in the, in the world. So what we glean from this, the first thing we see is you have to enlist the right people. You have to enlist the right people. David enlists the right people to carry out his wishes. He hears about Adonijah, so he says, I've got to put something in place to make sure this happens. So first he assures Bathsheba that her son Solomon would indeed be the next king. And then he takes measures to ensure that that will happen. Notice what it says in verses 32 through 35 as he enlists, enlists the right people. King David said, call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they, came to, when they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and set Solomon my son on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him over king, uh, uh, anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. David apparently had not made a smooth transition for his kingdom. There were individuals in David's kingdom who were not looking to do the will of God. They were looking to do the will of man. And David knew that, that these individuals will not lead the kingdom down the right path. Notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 5, verse 5 of chapter 1. Adonijah put himself forward and said, I will be king. Do you notice what he says? It put, he put himself forward. He made the decision that I will do this. He has his own agenda. He has his own plan. He has his own initiative. But the thing he forgot, in Israel, God determined who would be king. God determined that Saul would be king. God determined that David would be king. And now God has determined that Solomon will be king over the people of Israel. So not only is Adonijah going against his father David and his wishes, but he's going against God himself, who said this will be the person who will be the next king. He had his own agenda. So what did David do? David enlisted the right people to carry out his plan, to carry out what God would have the people to do. Why is that? Because David is sensitive to God, and he's sensitive to the things of God. So he wanted people that were sensitive to God and sensitive to the things of God. He wanted people that would be, that do what was best for the nation and not necessarily best for them. He wanted people that would do what was best for the nation of Israel and not for their own personal ambitions. Now, how does this relate to us? We are in the process, as most Baptist churches are, of electing new teachers and new committee members to serve on our committees. We need to make sure that when we elect these people and we select these people, they have in mind the things of God and not the things of man. We need to make sure that they have in mind what God would have us to do and not what they want to do. We have to make sure to enlist the right people to continue the path that God would have this church to go. They need to support the vision. Now, I know what you're asking. What is that vision? 
the vision that, that we have for this church is for this church to reach out to those who are not here, the lost and those who are not here yet. That's the vision. That's the vision that we have. So to reach out to individuals who are not in this location, are not in this body of believers. That's what God would have us to do. So we need individuals that say, we support that. When, they, when they, we enlist them as teachers, we make sure that they're teaching the Bible to equip the people to serve. Teaching the Bible and how it applies to their life so that they can go out and live it out there. We're not teaching just for knowledge. We're teaching to impact and change lives. We've got to make sure we're doing that. The same way with the committees. The committees that are coming on us said, how can we facilitate, how can we help accomplish the vision that God has for this church of reaching out to the community and those who do not know Jesus as of yet? Why do we do that? Why is it so important that we do that? The other day I was reading a book. Uh, several weeks ago I was reading a book. And it said that 80% of the churches in America are dead or declining. It said the other 20% are growing, but then it made a startling announcement. It said of the 20% of the churches that are growing, what they're really doing is they're just transferring membership from one church to the other. It said of all the churches, only 1% of the churches in America are actually reaching people that do not go to church and are lost and need Jesus. Only 1%. And you want to know why America is in the shape it's in? Because the churches are in the shape they are in. Look, we have no one. You can blame politicians in Washington. You can blame a terrorist. You can blame what you want. The problem is we have met the enemy, and they are us. We're not doing what God has called us to do. What did Jesus tell us to do? Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. He's called us individually to be fishers of men, and he's called us as a church to be fishers of men. You don't believe it? Go back and say, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. He said, you're no longer fish for this. You're going to fish for men instead. He's called us to be fishers of men. But what so many of us want to do, uh, we want the fish to jump into the boat. But we don't want to do anything to catch the fish. We need to understand this is what we need to be doing. We ought to reach out to the community, and we ought to reach out to those that are not here yet. And so we need to make sure that we get people in positions, if not this year, the next year, or the year after. We need to make sure that we get people in those positions that help the church move in the direction that God would have us to go. People that have not their agenda, uh, not their kingdom, but they have in place God's agenda and God's kingdom. They have a heart for God. And they have a heart for the things of God. They desire to make a difference in the community where God has placed them. They desire to make a, a chain, make a, a, a difference, make a lasting legacy in the community where God has placed them. Not only do you need to enlist the right people, you need to empower the right person. Notice what happens. Benaniah buys into what David is saying. Look at verses 36 and 37. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God, the God of my Lord, the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord, the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Benaiah is in, in agreement 
He said, David, I'm in agreement with this. I'm supporting that. Now, why did he buy into it? Why did he do that? Why was he so quick to affirm what David was leading the people to do? Perhaps it could be because the actions of Adoniah, Adoniah revealed his heart. Remember, Adoniah wanted to set himself up as king. He was motivated by his own ambition. And perhaps he saw that and he realized that's not the direction we need to go. Listen, your actions will always reveal your heart. Always. It will always reveal what, what's in, in, inside of you. He understood that. So he saw Adoniah and he saw an individual looking to his own interest and not looking for the interest of the kingdom of Israel. He was only looking out for himself. So notice what David did. David said, anoint Solomon, put him on my mule, and then bring him here. Now, you would think that's strange, putting somebody on a mule. You'd think it'd be a, a, a white stallion or something like that. But you have to understand, in those days, putting somebody on a mule was a sign of peace. It was a sign of royalty. If you put him on a stallion, it's a sign of war. It's a sign of power. So David is trying to say he comes in humility. It's much like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. What did he come in on? He came in on a mule, on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. Why? A symbol of love, a symbol of royalty. Notice how Adonijah came in. Notice the difference. Verse 5 says that he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Then verse 9 says that, Adon that Adonijah made sacrifices to God, but he made them in the wrong place. He didn't do them where the sacrifices were supposed to be happening. Everything about Adonijah points to him. It's about him and empowering him. But Solomon puts... Puts, uh, but Solomon comes in on a mule, and he's anointed by Zadok the priest. Verse 39 says, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. That verse is pivotal to understanding what's taking place here in the transfer of power. Adonijah anointed himself. God anointed Solomon. There was a difference in what happened in that situation Solomon's chosen to be the next king. He's going to serve in a transitional period during that time. David is, is actually king, but Solomon is going to rule in his stead. And notice the advice that Solomon, uh, David gives Solomon in chapter 2, verse 2. David said, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Let's stop right there. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Here's what David is saying. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. He acknowledges that he is not exempt from death. He said, even though I'm king, even though I'm God's anointed, even though I am a man after God's own heart, I am still going to die. He recognized that. I want you to take a moment. Just look around the room. Just turn around and go. I don't, I want, if you have to stand up, look around the room. Don't you see some wonderful people here? I see some wonderful, beautiful saints in the Lord. But can I tell you something? Many of you aren't going to be here in five years. Look, I don't, I don't make the news. I just report it, okay? 
Some of you won't be here in 10 years. Matter of fact, I could probably say most of you won't be here in 10 years. I might not be here tomorrow. We have no guarantee, do we? None of us have a guarantee. The question I want you to ask yourself, where would this church be in five years? Where would this church be in 10 years? Will there still be a church meeting here at this location that God has graciously given us? Do you realize I drive around the town a lot. Did you know we have one of the most strategic locations in the city of Waco? We have a better location in Columbus Avenue. We have a better location than Highland Baptist. Better lo- maybe not a better location than Antioch, but definitely a better area than we would say that. We have a better location than, than some of the other churches in our city. Will there be a church here in five or ten years when you're gone? The question then you have to ask yourself, do you care? Do you care? You see, that's what, that's what shapes us. Because we have to sit there and say, how are we going to make a lasting impact in this community? You know how it's going to happen? It has to exist after you guys are gone. There has to be people here that are serving, that are working, and that are being faithful to what God has called them to do. This church must live on past those who are here today. David tells Solomon how to continue doing what God would have him to do. Look at verse 2 again. He says, so be strong. Show yourself a man. Let me give you the modern-day translation. Doing the right thing for God is not for sissies. Doing the right thing for God is not for sissies. I'm going to tell you what I've been saying it for, for, for ever since I've been here. Almost every church I ever pastor, men, it's time to step up and be a man. It's time to step up and lead. Because let me tell you something. If you don't want to lead, there's always somebody to fill the void. There's always somewhere to fill the vacuum. This is not a male chauvinist, women against men thing. It's simply a statement, stand up and be a man. It's time to step up and lead as God has granted us that. But don't just lead in words. Lead in actions. We talked about them yesterday, last Sunday. The mighty men of David. They weren't men of words. They were men of action. And they supported David in what he's trying to do. Look, at he continues in verse 3. Be strong, sow yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses. Let me give you a modern-day understanding. What is it that God wants us to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two laws, upon these two laws hangs, upon these two commandments hangs the whole law. He says, and while you're doing that, while you're loving people, while you're loving God, make disciples. That's the modern-day equivalent. Make disciples. Love God. Love people. Serve others. Make disciples is what he's trying to tell us to do. David continues his instructions, and I love this part. You want to know why David tells him to do that? Here it is. Every time I say this, notice what he says. He says, so that... You've been listening to me preach for three and a half years. Every time you see that phrase, so that, you take that and sow that thought into your brain. 
so it because that's the reason that's the purpose statement that's why you do these things he says we ought to do all these things loving loving god loving people uh, making disciples what so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go so David is telling Solomon, Solomon, you need to do these things. This is the way you need to lead the people of Israel. Solomon, this is the way you need to, to make a lasting impact. And you do this, Solomon, not so that my kingdom will continue, not so that your name will be great, but so that the nation of Israel will be great. So that the nation of Israel will make an impact. He said, that's the reason that you do that. God wants his people to do things so that the things will go well for them. He wants Solomon to continue down the path that God had led the nation. To be a people after God's heart, a people that are unique, a people that are special. Not so that David's legacy would continue, but so that Israel would make an impact in the future. He's saying, God wants Israel to be salt. He wants Israel to be a light. He wants Israel to make a difference in the world where God placed them in that strategic location between Europe and Africa, between Asia and Africa. That, that strategic landmass that everybody passed through for transit. He said, Israel, you have an opportunity to impact the nations. You have an impact, an opportunity to impact the world. Here's the thing to consider. We need to make sure that the leadership in the church, whoever they are, they have God's agenda and not man's agenda, not their own agenda. They ought to be interested in building up the kingdom of God and not their own kingdom. So we have to empower the right person and we have to enlist the right people to continue down that path. But there's one more truth in this passage of Scripture. The last one is eliminate the distractions. So we enlist the right people, we empower the right person, we eliminate the distractions. Now, I'm not going, going, I'm not going to delve into all the difficulties in verses 5 through 9. Uh, I just want to kind of explain the situation uh, for you in that situation. David points out two men that he knew were going to be a, a difficulty for Solomon. He points out Joab. We know Joab. Joab was the captain of the army. But Joab had a tendency to do things behind David's back. Joab tried to, he, he thought he was working for David, but in he reality was working against David. Remember, he's the, he's the one that, that killed Abner without David knowing it. And David knew that Joab oftentimes it will fly off the handle and he'll make decisions that are not best for the kingdom, and that's going to cause problems for Solomon. The other guy was uh, uh, Shemai. Shemai was the guy who, who hurled down insults at David. But when David got back in power, Shemai said, Oh, David, hey, I'm your best buddy. But David knew that Shemai was an opportunist. And he knew at the first sign of opportunity, Shemai would turn on Solomon and try to do what, it was, what he wanted to do. So David says, You've got to eliminate these people. Basically, here's what David said you need to kill them. We would never say that in a church, okay? <laughs> you need to kill them. But then he said, but Solomon, ultimately, I'm going to leave that up to you and for you to use the wisdom that God has given to you to decide what to do with these individuals. 
there are things or individuals that may be a detriment to Solomon and God's will for the kingdom of Israel. So they, they needed to be dealt with before they caused more problems in the kingdom. So how does this apply to us? We need to be careful of those in the church who have their agenda and not God's agenda. We have to be careful with that. I remember in a church where I previously served, had an individual and you know, we got into a discussion, and this person was on staff, we got into a discussion about the purpose of the church. And look, y'all know me. Uh, y'all, I, I'm pretty much, I have, been the, I have been the same for ever since I've been in the church, okay? Even when I was a lay person. I said, well, the purpose of the church is to reach the lost and those who are not here yet and bring them into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I said. And she said, well, I think you're wrong. She said, I think the purpose of the church is to minister to those who are hurting in the church. I said, well, obviously we have a, a different view of the purpose of the church. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good that we should minister to those who are hurting in the church? Yes, we should. Minister to those who are hurting and those who are helpless and those who are going through difficulty. That sounds good, and we should. But here's the problem with that. If we begin turning everything we do internally, you know what Satan would do? Satan will make sure that every one of you are hurting, you're struggling, and you're not doing well. Because why? Because then we devote all of our resources, all of our energy, all of our power to taking care of you. And you know what we're not doing? We're not reaching the people out there. That's exactly what Satan would do. Satan doesn't care about the lost people in the world. But if he can keep us distracted and he can keep us disillusioned or he can keep us upset or frustrated because our needs aren't being met, guess what? He has accomplished his task. But as I read the Bible, it says that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church unless we as a church stop it. And we don't do what God has called us to do, what God has called us to be. David told Solomon, eliminate those individuals that will be a distraction to the greater purpose. He knew, David knew that if Solomon did not do that, he'd constantly be looking over his shoulder to see who's trying to stab him in the back, to see who it is that's trying to bring down the work of the kingdom. And if we're going to move forward... As a body of believers, we've got to eliminate distractions, whatever those are. It may be an activity. It may be an event. It may be an individual, whatever they are. We need to eliminate those distractions. Some of you may not be comfortable with what I've said this morning. Some of you may not quite agree or understand what we're trying to do. But God has called me to this church to lead this church to reach the community. To reach the community. God has called me here to move this church from being inwardly focused to being outwardly focused. So every decision I make, every decision that the staff puts out, is with that purpose of reaching the lost and the unchurched. That's it. Everything. No agenda other than God's agenda. We pray. We pray that's right. Listen, if we're wrong, 
If the pastor's wrong and if the staff is wrong, we will pay for that in time. It says that we will be doubly judged. But every decision we make is to do that. So some of you aren't going to be comfortable with that. I want you to know something. If you do not agree with that, I want you to know that you are greatly loved by God. And you are greatly loved by this pastor. Greatly loved. And so what I would ask you to do, when you think about what we're trying to do, I'd ask you to pray and seek God's wisdom on what you need to be doing and how you can get on board with that vision of reaching the lost and those who are not here yet. There's lots of ways you can be involved. You can pray. You can commit to pray. We pray every Saturday morning for the church and for our community. Amen, Mitchell Parish. We pray every Saturday morning. We pray Wednesday nights. That's what we do. We pray, we gather, we pray for our church, and we pray for our community. You can gather together, and we can pray for that. Uh, you can volunteer. You can give. Look, I, I recognize that, that without you folks, we wouldn't be able to pay salaries. We wouldn't be able to do a lot of things we do. So I honor that, and I, I treasure that. And God bless you. I recognize you need to give. Uh, give faithfully. The other thing you need to do, you need to faithfully attend uh, you never know how a young man like Jackson sitting up here, I'm so thankful for Jackson. And he sits up here and he comes up here, how it encourages him to see these senior saints sitting in these pews that he can model, he can learn from them and from their example. You can be faithful to what you do. You can say, I, I'm going to embrace the commitment. Not all of you can go. Not all of you can reach out. But there's lots of things you can do. You can, you can love on those people that are here. You can support those ones that are here. But... If you cannot get on board with the vision of reaching the lost and the de-churched and the unchurched in our community, then perhaps you need to find another church. That's okay. You will go with blessings. Because here's the thing is, sometimes God uses other people to go to another church and bless that church. That's okay. That's all right. You will go with no hard feelings, no anger, simply prayer and praise for everything you've done at this church. And perhaps that's what you need to do. There are some great churches in Waco, Texas. I hope nobody leaves. But maybe you're from another church. And this is not intentional for anybody that I know that's visiting from another church, okay? Just as just the way the sermon flows, all right? But maybe you're from another church. And you say, you know, I want to be a part of something new. I want to be on the ground floor of what a church is trying to do. Look, we're not there yet, guys. There's still lots of things we need to do. As of yet, I don't have all the details ironed out. I'm just trying to walk by faith today and trust God for tomorrow. There's lots of things we haven't ironed out, lots of things that we need to do. But everything we do is striving to reach the lost and the unchurched out in the community. So maybe you're, you're, you're a part of a different church, but you want to be a part of that. We want to invite you to be a part of this fellowship of believers. We will always stand for the truth of God's Word, always. We will not compromise this word. For those of you who don't know, I am conservative to the core. 
I believe everything in this Bible from, from, from the index to maps. I believe everything in the Bible. We will all never walk away from the truth of God's Word. We will be conservative in our theology. We will be compassionate in our ministry. We'll be conservative in our worship, but we will also offer classic, classical worship. Don't you like that name? Classical worship. Better than traditional. We will do that because we believe there's a place for both avenues in the kingdom of God. But we will have one purpose, one vision, one goal, and that is to reach the lost and the unchurched of this community. And we'll flesh that out in a way that we can all get behind it. So in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time when you respond. I don't know how God would have you to respond. You know, I know this pastor loves to get encouragement, even though I don't do well receiving it. It's kind of one of those things, oh, don't, 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 you know. Uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be, you know, come up to me afterwards and say, hey, pastor, I support the vision. We're with you. And say, Pastor, I'm going to pray about it. Great. Appreciate it. Pastor, I'm going to think about it. But for some of you, maybe you said, you know, I want to be a part of this church. We want to invite you to come. We'll tell you how to do that. For others of you, maybe you need a relationship with Jesus Christ who's the head of the church. We're going to invite you to have a formal relationship with him. We can tell you how to do that. We didn't mention that a lot uh, today, but I know pretty much everyone in here. So you know what we've been talking about. So some of you might now. I'm going to have Kip, Marilyn, Cassie's going to come up, lead us in a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, a time for you to respond to what you've heard today. I ask you to respond to God and respond to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.